Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 today. When I was in junior high, my grades were, I'll say terrible, they were all over the board, but by all over the board means I had A pluses and Fs at the same time, so let's call that terrible, right? Um, it, it, I mean, it, it was a danger of failing out of, of seventh grade. I, uh, it wasn't that I couldn't do the work. I took the SAT test in seventh grade and got a high enough score that I was allowed to start taking classes at Johns Hopkins University um, in seventh grade, but I was also failing social studies. Had an A-plus in math and an F in social studies. Um, and so the obvious pro- <laughs> the, the problem was that the work that came easy, and some subjects like math came really easy, uh, I would blow through that homework and then get on with my hobbies, which you already know were mostly science fiction oriented, reading. Um, I, I was reading a book a day back then. I was reading a science fiction book every day. Uh, but, course, but, but something suffers in that if that's where all your time is. And I wasn't getting my homework done, and I was in danger of failing. And so my parents, uh, my parents threatened to put me back in sixth grade, which felt catastrophic and life-ending at that time. Uh, and I certainly didn't want that. And so, in, in, and because I had no discipline in my life uh, and, and couldn't regulate my, my hobbies and my interests, uh, the, the compromise, I will call it a punishment, it absolutely felt like a punishment, they were giving me discipline, was that they decided that every other book I read had to be nonfiction which absolutely slowed down my reading. <laughs> Instead of reading a science fiction book a day, uh, I was now reading history, and uh, I, I was reading a lot of the Bible then. Um, I, I read uh, anthropology and all these other subjects, uh, which were a little harder for me to get into and harder to read and, and certainly slowed me down. Uh, but, but my grades improved. It, it was worth it, and, and I became so much better read. And so today I try, I don't quite hit that, that 50% mark, it's probably closer to 40%, but I still try to read economics and, and, and politics and, and, and history and art and all these things that aren't just escapism and fantasy. Uh, I, not, that, not that hobbies aren't fun, but you, they, they have to have ba- we have to have balance in our life, right? There has to be some level of discipline in, in how we spend our time that is appropriate. Uh, that my, I hate, <laughs> seventh grade me would be furious for, for much older me saying this. My parents were absolutely right in what they did. Uh, I was losing myself to my hobbies. I didn't, I hated having to have that discipline in my life, but it disciplined me. Uh, you know, we're starting this look through the Corinthians right now. Uh, and, and looking at spiritual discipline throughout throughout First and Second Corinthians, it, not, discipline is this word that has these two meanings, right? On the one hand, if you are disciplined, 
you are maybe being punished, or if you're a discipline, if you're disciplined, if you are a disciplined person, you regulate your own life. Right? The word has these two meanings. Uh, we don't know if I just say you're disciplined. I'd, that may be a negative thing or maybe a positive thing. And isn't it interesting that at the heart of the word discipline, we have the word disciple? How fascinating! Uh, we are. We live in a very undisciplined world. We are living through the idea that good times have produced weak people, undisciplined people. We are, as a people in the 21st century, we are spoiled and we lack self-control. How dare anybody tell me that I'm wrong, that I need to be corrected? And I legitimately think that this is why, especially in the United States in the 21st century, that the gospel is so abhorrent to people. Because the message of the gospel is that you are a sinner and that you need saving, that what you have been doing without Christ is wrong, and that you can't on your own make it right, and that you need God to pick up the pieces of your life. And if you have people that say, I'm great, I'm fine, I'm doing everything well, they don't feel that they need saving because they feel that their life is fine, why would they want a Savior? I think that this is why so many people flee God. Discipline sounds like punishment. But, but it does imply an element of self-control. What, whether you like the Olympics or, or hate the Olympics... Or, or bored. I don't know if anybody hates it, but bored with it and don't, don't like watching them. I think most of us respect the level of, of discipline, determination, um, training that these athletes put themselves through to do what is borderline super superhero level. To me, to me, who likes my comic books, these people that can do flips and tumbles and twists that you only see in in Captain America. Uh, but the, but these athlete, these athletes have have that level of focus, and, and, and we wish many times in our life, in our own, not just athletics, but I would love to be as fit as, as those athletes, but I don't have that discipline. And I think that we, I think at heart we respect when other people are disciplined. At heart we know, at heart I think that people, when they're really honest with themselves, and most people aren't, at heart people know, left to my own devices, this isn't working. This isn't good enough. And when people can be honest with themselves and say, this isn't working, that's when the message of the gospel provides the hope. That's when the message of the cross becomes, when we realize that that's what we need. We need what God offers us through the cross. And when we get that need, then the the ministry of the church, the message of the cross uh, begins to take hold in people's lives as they realize this is the only hope. And so with that, I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world, through its wisdom, 
did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul reminds us that we must believe in nothing but the Lord. So I, I started, at, partway through the pandemic, uh, uh, I started collecting, I always buy books, but I started collecting a few extra books. Um, the, the, uh, I, I started collecting what you would call dystopian books. Um, uh, most of you know, know these. Uh, 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 do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which is what Blade Runner was based on. Um, Albert Camus' The Plague, Fahrenheit 451, Brave New World, 1984. These are the books that speak to a... F- Clockwork Orange. The books that speak to a future that isn't heading in the right direction, isn't turning into a utopia, a paradise, but the prediction that if we keep going the way that we're going, things are going to fall apart. Why did I start collecting those in 2020? You don't need to ask that, do you? (laughs) Things are not going the way that we we had hoped. Things are not becoming a better world. Uh, uh, I certainly saw that and thought, well, as as more and more people are quoting 1984 and Brave New World, maybe maybe I need to start reading these. So I recently finished reading Kurt Vonnegut's his, his book, Fahrenheit 451, uh, which is the story about a World War II veteran who gets kidnapped by aliens and then starts traveling through time. Except he doesn't. <laughs> he just gets into a, into a plane wreck and gets brain damaged and thinks he's traveling through time and talking with aliens. Sorry to spoil the book for everybody that wanted to read it. Um, but you don't kind of find, you know, it starts as this feeling of this nice science fiction book, and it sounds kind of fun. And then it's when you get to the end of the book that you realize our narrator is, they call this an unfaithful narrator. Our narrator for the book is completely crazy. Um, but what makes it difficult then is at first you're, you're going along with them, and you're like, this is a great science fiction book. The, uh, my favorite writer is a science fiction writer from Britain named Michael Moorcock, who wrote a series of four books set between World War I and World War II that we call Between the Wars, and I was 200 pages into it before I figured out that the, that the narrator can't be trusted, that because he's taking so many drugs, his brain's just crazy, and what he's talking about isn't real. His perception of reality isn't, doesn't line up with reality, uh, that he doesn't see the world accurately. I, I've discovered that I kind of like these unfaithful narrators because it's kind of a puzzle. What can I believe? What can I not believe? Fun in a book. 
lousy in real life. When you read a book, you are at the mercy of the author. They are your lens, but you can put the book down. In real life, think about it. When you are born, you are at the mercy of your parents. They are your lens into understanding the world. Babies, when they are born, are weak and defenseless and helpless. And the awesome responsibility that God has given parents is that they are the lens for the child to understand the world. What an, what an incredible, awesome responsibility. Stressful. And, and we're, none of us are perfect, right? Which just makes it that, that, that responsibility a little bit more stressful. Kids, be, kids have no choice. Kids begin with faith in their parents because their parents are their window, their lens. They're vulnerable and they trust them. They have to. We usually, we usually, we usually grow up to be like our, our, our parents. Now, my father worked a lot. Um, he, he threw himself into the ministry. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom for, for a, a much of my life. And so, yes, I became a preacher ultimately like my dad, but my I'm like my mom. My mom is the one who liked Star Trek, Doctor Who, Lord of the Rings, The Chronicles of Narnia. I, I, I am my mother's child far more than I am my father. Uh, and, and she was my lens. I like those things because she did, because she raised me on those. She, she made me watch Doctor Who. She, she, I learned to read on Chronicles of Narnia. That my mom taught me how to read through those books. Uh, my mom was my lens to the world and, and shaped me. I trusted her to show me uh, the truth of the world. Uh, you know, and, and parents are human, aren't they? We we know this. It's always a tough day when when the kids figure that out. That that mom and dad can make mistakes. Where whoever you are, that's that 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 was a tough day. The day that you learned that your parents weren't perfect. Some kids. Unfortunately, learn that too early. Um, some kids get to go through a very idyllic life, and it's an unfair world that some kids have a great childhood and some kids don't. Uh, but we all, we, we're, we're only human. All, all parents mess up at some point. Even you know, we, we as kids put our faith in our parents, and then we learn that they're not perfect. Our world isn't perfect. Government is not the answer. I think we all get that. The stock market is not the answer. Your bank account is not the answer. Hollywood, Hollywood is not the answer. We, we know, we know that only in the cross are the answers to man's problems. But, but as Paul says, that's crazy talk to the world. The world says a dead, a dead person hanging from a piece of wood, that there's no answer there. There's no solution to man's problems. We know that he was more than that. It may be foolishness to the world, but Paul says that's, that's the point. It's foolish to the world, but it is the wisdom of God. Paul says absolutely the world will see our message as crazy, but it is the only solution for the world. Our problem, problem is that we try to divide up our faith. We, 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 are, we compartmentalize between our heads and our hearts. Part of us, part, part of us works in the world. Uh, that part, there's a part of us that, that says logic and reason alone are, are what, what we need and what saves us. 
But then that doesn't apply to things like love or imagination or faith. And we try to live in two worlds with one foot in faith and one, and, and one foot in reason. And I'm not anti-reason by any means. But we need, we can't, but, but they need to work together, not in opposition. It is not a healthy faith to compartmentalize your life and to have the Jesus part of your life and the political part of your life and the economic part of your life. and the, uh, These weren't meant to be compartments that have nothing to do with each other. Faith is not a part of your life. Faith is your life. It needs to be all of it. The whole thing. It, it, faith in nothing but God. Everything else is captive to that truth, that the cross alone is the power of God to save us. Our faith must not rest in part on the power of God, but only the power of God. We must believe in nothing but the Lord. He must be everything and not a part of it. I want to keep reading then in chapter 2. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. We must know nothing but Christ. As I said, I, I got my hobbies my, my, my love of fantasy and science fiction from my mom. Uh, and, and as I said with, in, in reference to, to my seventh grade punishment, uh, my struggle in my life was and is in discipline, in, 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 in balance, in, in living. A, the perfect, before Calypso was born, um, my vacations would, I would, people were horrified by this. You probably will be too. My previous church just thought this was terrible. I would go on my own. Pam wouldn't go with me, and I would take off in my car and just bring, just bring an entire back seat full of books, and then just camp out of my car and spend a week doing nothing but reading science fiction books. That to me was just the most relaxing thing. No people, um, just on my own for a week. Leave me alone. Let me read because I can do that. I could throw myself in, into into books and reading and my hobbies and science fiction. The problem is that's great for a vacation. It's terrible if I were to live my life that way every week. I need balance in my life. My nature, I don't know if it's an addictive personality or what, but my nature is that in my hobbies, without balance, I would throw myself into them. And, and I quoted this wrong a few weeks ago. In America, we're notoriously bad about worshiping work and working at our play and playing at worship. That's my nature. Um, it, it, my nature certainly is to work at my play, to take my hobbies and, and throw myself into them to the point that they're not even maybe fun anymore because I'm working too hard at them, and then only playing at worship. And then some people absolutely, workaholics, uh, uh, worship their work. I don't know that that's just me. I just think that's human nature these days. I think, that's, I think that, that that's how, at least the United States in the 21st century, how we're increasingly wired, the culture that we've built, we get our priorities wrong. We, we treat our hobbies 
as why we live or, or, or become workaholics, but we were made for a relationship with God. That should be what keeps us going. Like most people, even most Christians, this, I struggle. I struggle with making, keeping my focus on God. You know, what we're reading here in 1 Corinthians, when Paul talks about knowing nothing but Christ crucified, that's the struggle, is to keep that the high priority. I, I, I want to be that kind of a person. For all of his mistakes, sin, for all of his sin, King David is, descri- is lovingly described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart even with all his problems. I want to be that person. I want to be someone who they say, Jason was a man after God's own heart. I, unfortunately, apparently what I'm going to be, you know, and I, I, I don't want to be known as the guy that reads comic books and walks around barefoot all the time. Um, I, I, I don't mind if that's, part, if that's just kind of a, a part of a description, but the number one thing I want to be known for is someone who chased after God wholeheartedly. And if that's not what I'm known for, if people remember the comic book collections before my spirituality, then I'm not living right. And even more than that, I don't. If people that don't know me see the comic books and that's all they remember me, that's one thing. But I want to make sure that God knows that I'm after Him first, and that the hobbies don't matter, and that the distractions in life don't matter. I want to follow God, to learn more about God, to, and, to, and to know not just about God, but to know God. I want to know God, not just know about Him. But how can I go, know God? Well, Paul is very clear on this. As we know Christ, we know God. When we focus on everything else and, and not on Christ, we lose sight of God. Now, I, that doesn't apply to just our hobbies and our own life. If we major in the minors, and whether you consider that a baseball reference or a college reference, it doesn't matter. When we major in the minors, we've lost our goal. Uh, it, it is easy to do that in churches, to focus on the stuff, the, the, the potlucks and the programs and, this, and the order of the service. It is easy to focus on the incidental stuff and lose sight of Christ. Paul says that he is resolved to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. See, it's easy to want Christ as Savior. Nobody wants to go to hell. Everybody wants to be saved from hell. That part's accepting Christ as Savior is relatively easy. The hard part is accepting him as Lord, that he is in charge of our life, that we turn over everything to him. All the hobbies all the minutes of our day, it's all His. And too many people don't want that. They want Savior, they don't want Lord. The call to the Christian is that if you want Him as your Savior, you have to take Him as your Lord. He is in charge. How do we make Him Lord? Well, He can't be, as I said, He can't be top priority. He has to be the only priority. Do we want to know the mind of God? then we have to know Christ and Him alone. And so we keep reading in verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom 
the wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths. In spiritual words, the man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ." We must rely on nothing, nothing but the Holy Spirit. How do we get to that point? How do we come to have the mind of Christ? Well, we can't get there on human power. We can't get there with human wisdom. Paul is clear. We can only come to know the mind of God through the Spirit of God. Paul relied alone in his preaching on the Holy Spirit, not on his own efforts. The wisdom of God comes from listening to the Holy Spirit. He is the gift that is given to all Christians. Now, this doesn't mean we throw up our hands in the air and say, well, if it's on God and it's on His Spirit, I don't have to do anything. God's Spirit will take care of it. Sit back, relax. It's the Spirit's job. On the contrary, it means that we cultivate a life listening to the Holy Spirit. We develop the spiritual disciplines that lead us to a better Christian life. But, but herein comes a caution. What we do alone cannot save us. You can't do X and Y and Z and treat it as a formula that will get you into heaven. It's not a formula. But it'd be amazing if we could say, if I could make the promise, if you read your Bible 15 hours a week, you're guaranteed to go to heaven. Every person in this room would, would, would do that. We would love that promise, that guarantee that, it's, that, that God is contractually bound to save us if we do X, Y, and Z. That if we spend six hours in prayer, God is required to let us get into heaven. That, that formula, that contract would be ideal. But, but think about it this way, because our, our relationship with God is a relationship. If, if I, when I was dating, thought that if I take Pamela on two dates a week and buy her roses once a month and buy her chocolates once a week, she is contractually bound to love me and get married to me. That's not how relationships work. Those things may help, but you you can't buy somebody X amount of meals out a week, X amount of, of gifts. If you if you buy somebody, that's a different concept and not a good one in relationships. And that applies to our relationship with God. You can't buy him. You can't can't go to church X amount of times, read your Bible, 
X amount of times a week, pray X amount of hours a week, and call that a contractual obligation because that's not a relationship then. Now, let's be clear. Those things help. Church is great. Prayer is great. Bible reading is is wonderful. Uh, Serving the community at soup kitchens and giving to the needy, those are wonderful things. Just like dates and (laughs) gifts and flowers and roses. Those are good things, but they help the relationship. They aren't the relationship. To be clear, if you didn't have in your life prayer, Bible reading, church, I know I'm preaching to the choir, um, if you didn't have those things, your faith would be in a catastrophic place. I would question whether or not you can have a good relationship. But I've known people that are biblical scholars that aren't Christian. Reading the Bible doesn't guarantee that you're going to know God if, if we don't listen to the Spirit. If, if it doesn't become more than head knowledge. God, all the things that we do, the prayer, the Bible reading, the, 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 the meals at the church, the programs with the kids, they're all good. They're not the point, are they? The point is Jesus himself. God and his son Jesus are the point, not the prayer, not the Bible reading. They're the tools. That old adage that the point of a drill the, the, point of, the, the point of a company that makes drill bits isn't to make drill bits. The point of the company that makes drill bits is to make holes. <laughs> um, yeah, I, tools have a place. Well, here's an, so here's an example as a locksmith. I knew a woman who collected combination locks. She didn't put them on anything. They weren't on doors or safes. She had displays in her house where she put combo locks that didn't didn't protect or close anything. She just thought combination locks were neat, which is a weird enough hobby, but let me add something to this. And she was blind, which means she couldn't operate them because she couldn't see the numbers. So she had her family and friends tell her that they worked, which is the weirdest collection I've ever heard of. Um, and, And seems to me a very pointless and expensive hobby is to collect locks that protect nothing that you can't and that you can't operate i don't understand the point of that collection but she really was one of our customers in the champaign urbana area what a weird what a weird thing to collect these tools of protection that protect nothing without the spirit bible reading is just reading a book I, I think that God can work through it. I think that when we read the Bible, the Spirit is calling to us. But if we shut out the Spirit, we've probably wasted our time reading the book. Prayer, I, mean, I think prayer is great, but there are people that, I, I think it's amazing, but there are people that talk into the sky hoping that, God is, that there is a God that he might listen, but when he tries to talk back, they tune him out because they don't like what he's saying. Church can be a waste of time if you're not open to the Spirit. The Spirit wants to transform us into the people that God has made us to be. If we tune out God and say, I want to come to church and I want your head, but I don't want to be transformed into the image of Christ, then we've wasted our time. God's Spirit is the source of wisdom. He transforms us, our minds, our hearts. He allows us, the Spirit allows us to understand God. Do we want to know the very thoughts of God? Then we listen to His Spirit. And then we have the mind of Christ. 
we must rely on nothing, Paul says, but the Spirit. Our, our effort is paradoxically to let go. Our effort is to let God do His job through the Spirit and to rely upon Him. Now, again, we put ourselves in a place where He can do that. Prayer, Bible reading, church, these are great things. But they're not the only thing. They're the tools that bring us to where we need to be. They're not the point in and of themselves. Our hymn of invitation today is hymn number 335. It keeps coming back to the cross, focusing only on knowing Him better and the death, His death that saves us. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as both Savior and Lord, I would like to talk with you today about that. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.